0: A few weeks ago, I visited another congregation, spoke for them, and visited with them. And <clears throat> there was a couple there that I knew that used to go to North Side, and uh, I didn't see them. So I asked one of the elders, "Where's so and so?" And he told me, "He said, well, uh, they never came back after the pandemic. Uh, during the pandemic, they stayed home and." Uh, They just never came back, and we've tried to reach out to them, but they don't seem to have any intent of coming back. That's a not uncommon story these days. Lots of the preachers and elders and people that I talk to from other congregations tell the same story, and unfortunately, it's true here also. Attendance is not what it used to be. Uh, You can look around and see if you've been here more than two years that there are a lot more empty seats than there used to be. And I'm not sure it's strictly people who just never came back. I think a lot of it is that those that did come back come less frequently. There's been a change in the way we think about church, I think. Uh, We've got a little over 850 members at Northside. That's 850 people that can come to worship, not counting the ones that are unable to. And we don't have 850 here. Uh, We keep pretty good records, not perfect records because some of you refuse to fill out the little black book. But uh, (laughs) those of you that do, we've got pretty good records. And over 60% of Northside members come less than half the time on Sunday mornings. Half the time or less. We need to talk about that a little bit. So that's what I want to do this morning is talk and I I want to make it clear. I'm talking to church members here. People who have committed to be a part of this congregation. People that have put themselves under the leadership of the elders. uh, Want to be a part and be involved in the family here. Uh, That's who I'm talking to. Now, if you're not a member, you can listen anyway. Uh, You may need to know some of this when you become a member. But right now, I'm talking... Two members. And let me make clear this is Christianity 101. Uh, This is not complicated, detailed, theological stuff. This is Christianity 101. This is Scripture. But I I want it to also be very practical. So I'm going to try to be practical. I want it to be useful for a lot of reasons. So we've got. Two questions to answer in our sermon entitled, Church Assembly Required. And the first question is, what is church? If church is assembly required, we first got to figure out what church is. And if you've been in church, been a member of the Lord's church very long, uh, you know that it's not the building You've been told that a hundred times. You understand that the church is the people, uh, but it's a little deeper than that. As an example, I, preparing for this, I grabbed my Vines expository dictionary, which has got every word in the New Testament, and you just look up the English word in there, and then it tells you what the Greek word was and what it meant and all of that. So I grabbed it to see what church meant. And I got on the page with the CHs, and I looked through there, and I didn't see church. Now, I was glancing quickly, and I was looking at the headings of where there was some writing under it and information and all that. I didn't, couldn't find church. And I finally slowed down and looked carefully enough, and there was a little line between one CH and the next CH, and it said church hyphen C assembly. So I went back to the start of the book and found assembly, and it said ekklesia, the Greek word, means called out. It means the assembly. And we've come up with the word church for that. But when the Greeks talked about church, they were talking about assembly, They used it particularly for civil organizations. They would call out a number of citizens to be part of a legislature or a council or something with civic duties like that. And they were the ecclesia. They were the called out. They were the assembly. Now, if you think about it, those who were called out... uh, When they weren't in the assembly, they were still members of the assembly in a sense. They represented the assembly in a sense. But they really weren't the assembly until they were assembled. And that's why the Greeks used the word for that. That's the way they they thought about it. In one sense, in a very technical sense, we are the church church. When we're together, we're the assembly when we're assembled. Now, I understand that church is universal and all that, and uh, when I'm not here, I am supposed to be a member of the church. I'm supposed to be a Christian. I'm supposed to be salt and light, and so are you. We understand that. Well, I hope you get that from a, a technical standpoint, we are the assembly when we're assembled. So that answers our question about what the church is. Now, second question, why do Christians assemble? We know what the church is. Well, why do we assemble? Why is assembly required, as I titled this? Well, we are the assembly. That's a pretty good clue <laughs> for why we assemble. Uh, but I think there's a couple of scriptures that help us answer this a lot better. The one famous one, and one I put on your handout, is Hebrews ten, twenty-four and twenty-five. The writer of Hebrews said, "Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as is the habit of some people, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near." Now. I, and many of you, heard Hebrews 10.25 a lot growing up. That's a pretty popular scripture. And it was used to talk a lot about attendance. In fact, usually when this verse was used, when I was growing up, it was read like this. The first part we kind of jumped over. The, The middle part, we came down pretty heavy on And the last part we kind of jumped over. Uh, Not forsaking the assembly was a mantra. Forsake not the assembly. Heard that a lot. Now, uh, and I understand that and why we did it. We, we, We completed that phrase actually by saying forsake not the assembly unless you're providentially hindered. That was kind of the complete thought. You you could be providentially hindered. Something could keep you from getting there. But otherwise, you ought to be there. Uh, and, And it kind of generated a mentality of, okay, I've got my checklist for the week here. Yeah, Sunday morning, I didn't forsake. Sunday night, I didn't forsake. Wednesday night, I didn't forsake. Good week. Okay, that's the kind of what that generated. Uh, And and that's not the right way to think about it, but since we're talking about why we assemble, let me point out that we understand that. We understand this verse for every other organization in the world. Anything else we do, whatever you're a part of, whether it's a, a college class that you go to, Uh, A Lions Club that you're a member of, the Kiwanis, a a self-help group, the gym that you go to, a, a hobby club, whatever. We understand that if you miss, that's okay. You don't have to have perfect attendance. But if you want the benefits of that assembly, you assemble the, the more you're there, the more you're going to get out of it. Okay? And that's what Hebrews ten twenty four and 25 says. If we read the parts that I put in small text here, it says the reason you're not supposed to forsake the assembly. And by the way, forsake means stop. It doesn't mean miss. So don't stop getting together is what the writer says, because that's where you spur one another on. That's where you... Uh, Figure out how to love better and do good deeds. And it's where you encourage one another. And you ought to be encouraging one another all the more as it gets closer to judgment day. So don't stop getting together, is what the writer says there. All right. Now, that's one reason. Second reason Christians assemble is... uh, did I miss that one? I, I jumped ahead here. Let me go back. Okay, we assemble for church. We've talked about that, right? Everybody remember that? Okay. Now the <laughs> there's some reasons we do that. Some benefits, and the benefits I thought of very quickly off the top of my head is uh, we we worship together. And together's different than alone. We learn if we pay attention. We encourage one another. Just by being here, we encourage one another. Uh, walked in the lobby this morning and the Avants are here, Walter and Dee. They moved to Texas a few years ago and they're back this morning visiting. That encouraged me. Okay? Uh, they are here and they're encouraging all of us. Yeah, that's why we are the benefits of getting together. Now, the requirements of assembling for church are you got to assemble. Okay? And you got to engage. Uh, you can come, sit in a corner, and not be engaged at all. And, yeah, it may encourage somebody else, but basically to assemble for church takes about an hour a week. It's not that difficult. And you got to kind of pay attention and engage and, and to worship and to learn. Uh, you got to be tuned in. you got to be present. Okay. Now, let's go back to, to this. Acts 20 and 7 says, that's what New Testament Christians did is on the first day of the week, they got together to break bread. They got together to be together. They assembled for church. And I know I'm using that word in a lot of different ways today, but I think everybody understands what I'm saying. And I already admitted that in the past, we probably had too much fire and brimstone around the attendance part of it. And the checking the box part of it, but let me say that we have swung the pendulum too far the other way. I think we have gone from making Hebrews ten twenty five a guilt trip, where you better be there, or you know we're talking hellfire here. We've swung it from that over to where it doesn't really matter if you come or not. If you can get there, you don't have other things, and it's convenient, that, that's okay. You ought to show up. Now, if I'm wrong, somebody tell me. Somebody in, not in all these empty seats, tell me if I'm wrong. It was bad before COVID. COVID. It was starting to go that direction where attendance wasn't that big a deal. Okay. But COVID, just knocked it off the cliff. COVID pushed us into a world where we got into online church. Okay. Now, yeah, let's do it. Let's have a sidebar here. I think what the attorneys call the sidebar is where you step aside and the jury doesn't listen to this. Okay, so everybody that won't understand this, just quit listening right now. <laughs> but you folks that will understand what I'm saying, let's have a little sidebar here. And what I'd like to tell you is that I've got kind of a love-hate relationship with online church okay the the love part is that I know it's a great help. I know it kind of got us through the craziness of the pandemic. It kept us together when we were either restricted from getting together or we were too fearful to get together. It kept us kind of connected. We kind of did some of the same things, and it was great. It would have been horrible without it. I understand that, and I like that part of it. The other part I like is we've been streaming for many years before we ever knew what COVID was, and it's a wonderful blessing for shut-ins and people who are sick that week and just can't get out for some reason. Even people that are on vacations and they're somewhere where there's no church, they can kind of keep connected. And that's a wonderful thing. There are lots of positive things about online church. And that's why I love it. But there's some negatives that bring up the hate part. The negative part is, there are people who have come to believe that online church is church. And I've already said that for some people, it's the best that can be done. And I'm glad that they've got it. But to go from that to choosing online church as an equivalent or a substitute for assembling as the church is a problem online church is not church now let me quote from a fellow named John MacArthur who's known to a lot of folks he was asked about how about online church he called it zoom church here's what he said zoom church is not church it's not church it's watching tv there's nothing about that that fulfills the biblical definition of coming together okay now i might not say it quite that way but i don't disagree And I told you there's lots of good things about online church. But online church is not church in the way we're discussing it this morning. Now, end of sidebar. You people that don't understand that can start listening again. All right. So uh, there's a reason to assemble for church. But secondly, besides assembling for church, we Christians assemble For community. Community. There's a book Ray Oldenburg wrote called The Great Good Place. And his proposition in this book is that everybody needs a third place. That your number one place is home. It's where you're with your family. Your number two place is work. Where you earn the means to go home and be with your family. But he said the key to society, the key to civilization in many ways, is having a great third place. And he defines a great third place as being somewhere that's not home and not work, that you get together with other people. And some of the characteristics that he came up with for this great good place As he said, it's a level kind of place. Status doesn't matter. See, status matters at work. In a great good place, it doesn't matter who you are. He said in a great good place, there's conversation that goes on. People talk with each other. They have a community concept. He said in a great good place, there are regulars that are there most of the time. But newcomers are welcomed. Newcomers are accepted. And he goes on with a lot of other characteristics about a great good place. But this isn't a book review. I just want to drop that thought in there and then think about it. Uh, what immediately pops to my mind, of course, since I'm old enough, is I remember the TV show Cheers. Okay. And some of you just smiled because you remember Cheers. Okay, those of you that remember Cheers, what happened when Norm walked into the bar? Norm! Everybody yelled, Norm. And then the theme song would play. And it would explain the great good place that was Cheers. The theme song began, making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? And the chorus says, sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. And they're always glad you came. You want to be where you can see our troubles are all the same. You want to be where everybody knows your name. Cheers might have been a great good place in many ways. Uh, There's fewer and fewer great third places in the world these days. Some places that used to be kind of great good places. You walk in and everybody's got their phones in their hand and their buds in their ear. And they're in their own little world. That's not a great good place. Uh, Church is kind of the ultimate great third place. If it's done right. Let's read Acts chapter 2, verse 42 and 47, and see how the Christian didn't just assemble for church, they assembled for community. Listen to what the first church did. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. All the believers were together, had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Now, I told you this was going to be practical, I hoped. And what this passage says is, Christians in the first century got together, they assembled, not just because there was a verse that said, Thou shalt assemble, But because that was what church was, and it was good for them. It was real life. Getting together for community is not just doing church together. It's doing life together. In fact, I'll tell you where I first thought the first germ of this sermon came from was a month or so ago when we had the memorial for Ruby Mahan in this building. And for those of you that don't know Sister Ruby, she came to Northside when she was 17 years old. She died when she was 94. She'd been here 77 years. She came here as a teenager, moved from a home in another state to a place that wasn't her home, and found Northside. She was widowed at a young age. She raised four kids at Northside. She loved on and was loved by four generations of my family. She did life at Northside. As long as her health allowed, she was here every time the doors were opened. She assembled for church. But she didn't just do church. She did life. She did community. She had to assemble to do that. In many ways, her great third place kind of became her first place. Now, I know everybody can't stay at a church for 77 years. Uh, that's not my point. But my point, whether you've been here seven years or seven days, you can assemble for church or you can assemble for community. There's a difference. The benefits of community are that you get the help and support and the understanding in doing life. Now, if you just do church, you'll never understand this. If you do it for 77 years, you understand it a whole lot better. You get that help and support and understanding through all kinds of things that happen in life. Tragedies. Toby's mentioned it before. we got a family here whose house blew away in the tornado a couple of months ago. Okay. The people on their street could not understand where all the help came from at their house. Well, that's because they're part of a community. Northside is their great good place. Yeah. When, when people get sick, people at work may send you a flower, but it's not the same as having a community. When you're out of work, when you've got work problems, when you've got family problems, you got marriage problems. When I used to do more marriages and counsel couples before they got married, one thing I always told them is, get involved in a church. And both of you find some older women and some older men that you can talk to. Because you're going to need that. The, the things are going to happen in your marriage that you don't know what to do about that. I usually tell the ladies, I say, one day he's going to do something so stupid that you're going to say, what do I do about this? Well, you go ask some of the older ladies. And they say, oh, yeah, yeah, I understand. And they'll coach you on that. You don't get that at work. You get that in a great good place, especially in a church. You've got parenting problems? We've got parents here that have been there before. You got temptations in your life? We got people here that have fought that same demon. They can coach you on that. You got challenges to your faith? We've got people that have lived through challenges and come out stronger on the other side. Communities help in life. That's why that chorus of that song is so important. It says sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. You want to be where you can see our troubles are all the same. Church is community. Now, that's the benefits, but let me tell you the requirements. To do church as community, you've got to assemble more than one hour, okay? It doesn't happen in this hour. Now, you may have somebody you sit by that your buddy's with and you talk a little bit and all that but that's pretty superficial, okay? The assembling for community has got to happen elsewhere, more than one hour. Class, Bible class, it's not just learning Bible. Bible class is a lot of community. People get to know each other, they help each other, Okay? All sorts of other things that are available at Northside, ministries, et cetera, et cetera, are, are places where you start to form community. Now, the other requirement, another requirement, besides just assembling with people at other times, is you got to practice the one another. That's what Toby's been preaching about for a few weeks, the things that the Bible says one another's, love one another, be kind to one another, be devoted to one another, forgive one another, bear one another's burdens. <clears throat> All of that has to happen for church to be community. There are churches where that doesn't happen and they don't have community. If that happens, church can be community. Beyond that, that's got to be some volunteering and some serving and some interest in others. You can do church by sitting in the corner. You can't do community by sitting in the corner. Now, with all that said, in the interest of time, let me just close with two questions. Do you assemble? And do you assemble? You may not have noticed on my slides I had lowercase assemble and uppercase assemble. That doesn't mean one's more important to differentiate. We assemble lowercase assemble for church. We uppercase assemble for community. So that's my question. Do you assemble? Either one of them. Uh, God wants Christians to assemble not so we can check the boxes say yeah, I was there that time he wants us to assemble just like all of his rules and teachings and all that because it's best for us it's the best way to live life so if you're not doing that I'd encourage you to Answer the question honestly. Now, I could ask, well, what are your reasons for not assembling? What are your reasons for not assembling? And I can imagine some of the answers I'd get. A lot of people would just say, well, we're just too busy. And I'd say, if your problem is you're too busy, then the answer is, you're too busy. you got a calendar problem. you got a commitment problem. Because Christians assemble. And they assemble. I imagine some people would tell me, well... I assemble, but that assembling thing—I, yeah—I'm an introvert. I don't even know how to get started there. You know that makes me nervous. Well, Mark Gakely is an involvement minister, and you all meet him when you become a part of Northside, and that's what he's there for—is to help you figure out where you fit. Okay, well, we don't just throw you in here and say, "Okay, find a place." We help you because we understand God wants us to assemble and assemble. Some people might come and visit Northside and say, well, man, Northside's too big. You telling me everybody knows my name? No, everybody doesn't know your name. I don't think there's anybody here that knows everybody's name. Some get pretty close, but that's a lot of people. Okay, And for people that that scares, that think, man, that's just too many people for me to ever have community. I usually tell them, you know, there's a study been done that you can only have like 40 or 50 friends. You just can't manage any more than that. Okay. In a small church of 40 or 50, you've got 40 or 50 friends. In a big church, you get to choose. You don't think about that a while. You get to pick, okay? And I know it's harder at a big church in some ways, but we've also got more resources to help people do that. Uh, small groups, uh, assembling for community—small groups is one great, good place that happens. Okay. Uh, Brother Jeff Garrison be. Starting up some new groups in the fall, I think. Uh, mark that down. Find out who Jeff is. Figure out how you get in a small group. You can start building community with 10 or 15 people instead of 500. Okay? So whatever your excuse is, there's, there's a lot of way. But the main problem is, are you committed to assemble? Are you committed to assemble? The church requires Assembly. If you need a change in your life, I encourage you to make that change. I encourage you to assemble for church and assemble for community. All right, there will be a great assembly someday on that day that the writer of hebrews talked about It's going to be a great assembly uh, all of those in christ are going to meet him and be with him forever if you're prepared for that great if you're not prepared for it, if you know you're not prepared or if you don't know if you're prepared we'd be happy to talk to you about that our elders some of them be at the back doors uh, when we stand and sing go back there and tell them what's on your heart and they'll help you let's stand and sing